Welcome back to Weird Distractions Podcast, a podcast where we tell you weird stories of true crime, the paranormal, and conspiracy theories to provide you a weird distraction from your everyday life. I'm your host, Alex. And Christy. We are still dealing with COVID, but I actually need a distraction from something else. (laughs) I don't know about you. What's that? So I've been sick for about a month now. It's not COVID. Ruled that out. Um, but it's not mono or pneumonia, so I don't know what's really going on, but I feel like garbage. <laughs> a distraction from that would be great. What about you? <laughs> uh, my distraction this week is I am on my work from home week, and I'm only into day two, and I've cleaned the whole apartment, and I'm already going crazy, so let's distract with this. Distract from that. because there's only so much you can do during working from home, right? Like I, well, not even working from home, but just like being home. Like there's only so much you can clean. There's only so many new things you can do. My eyes hurt from watching so much TV (laughs) because I need to stop. Like I'm looking for like a book pile if I can, just to help from something else because I just, again, running out of things to do. It's, um, before we kind of get into this week's story, which is conspiracy theory related, um, I do want to shout out Craig Woodall from the Freedom Speaks podcast. So he reached out to our podcast Twitter, um, just asking for us to kind of review his podcast and he'd give us feedback about ours. And he gave us some really good feedback, which, you know, we appreciate because we're starting this out. We don't really have any podcasting experience other than us just listening. Um, So any feedback is appreciated. Appreciate it. There we go. So just want to shout out Freedom Speaks podcast. It's really interesting. It's about um, racism and lynching in America throughout the different states. So mm-hmm. are you ready to get distracted? Because I'm pretty fucking ready to get distracted right now. <laughs> Let's get weird. Let's get weird. All right. So as I mentioned, this is a conspiracy theory or there's conspiracy theories around this story, which is fucking weird. Like this is bananas. Um So this weird distraction is about a boy who was left for dead in a box in Philadelphia that Mm -hmm. no one knew his identity, even to this day. Like a baby boy? Like a baby boy. Well, I don't know how the age ranges works, because you know how there's like newborn, there's infant, newborn. Uh, I I don't know. We're not moms, so we don't know the shit. (laughs) She was small and fit in a box, okay. Exactly. (laughs) All right, so the boy in the box is the name given to an unidentified murder victim suspected to be four to six year old, four to six years old, um, whose naked battered body was found in a bassinet styled box located off off of, uh, sorry, located in the woods, um, kind of near the Fox Chase neighborhood in Philadelphia. Um, and he was found February 1957. Things right off the bat get kind of funky because two people actually find his body, but only one of them comes forward. So one person just left him. Yeah, so apparently there's mixed stories. So one one story says, oh yeah, it was like a kid who was looking for um, hunting traps in the area. But then the other story is like, oh no, it was a man who drove by. It was like, I'm not going to report it because I don't want to get involved. Which... <laughs> Which begs the question, like, if you were to find a dead body, would you report it? 100%. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. I was like, well, 
you fucking report the dead body. Like, they're not going to see it and be like, oh, shit. Um, oh, shit. Someone, what, someone, hopefully someone cares about him. And then yeah. I'd be like, I kind of want to deal with the police because that's our stuff. So yeah. <laughs> this is out of my jurisdiction and out of my job description. I'm going to let the popo deal with it. So, yeah. all right. So the boy was Caucasian. He was about a thir- about 30 pounds and approximately three feet tall. Apparently, so he was left naked, but there was like a blanket that was found in the box as well. Um, and his hair was mangled. Like it looked like someone from First Choice Hair Cutters went to town and just did lost him. It? Yeah, just lost it. Like what my hair looks like right now. I'm just going to point that out because it's COVID and I haven't left the house, so it's ratchet. No, no one is looking great these days because no one can see their hairstylist. Um, so when the police did find the body, um, there were signs, severe signs of malnourishment, um, as well as varying surgical and smallish scars on his ankles and near his groin, as well as like an L-shaped scar under his chin. Right. Um, head injury appeared to be the cause of death. And as mentioned, the box was actually uh, a bassinet cardboard box from J.C. Penney. So they're able to, like, figure out that clue. Fashion. I know. So as mentioned, when the actual when the actual person reported it, they didn't really like at first they didn't really want to get involved. They're like, mm, I don't know. And then eventually they're like, OK, I'm going to do the right human thing and, you know, call the cops. Mm-hmm. So with the report in, police uh, went in and opened an investigation. Unfortunately, it was February, and because the body was left for so long, it was really hard to get a lot of DNA evidence off of it, off of the boy. Um, but they were able to get some fingerprints. It just, it just wasn't enough, though. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. back then, like it was the fifties technology wasn't at its prime as it is now so you can only imagine that they're kind of like oh, yeah, and it was left outside left into the elements and stuff like that exactly exactly so soon after that um 400 posters were released into the area to try and figure out okay who is this boy they actually made like a facial recognition picture of what the boy might have looked like based on what was left of, yeah mm-hmm. um which is really murky to say but yeah what was left um but nothing no one came up like no one no one said anything no one called no one claimed shit hmm. the box though back to the jc penny bassinet box had a serial number so they're able to track that to approximately 15 miles away um to a local jc penny so the problem is when the police followed up at the store they were like, oh, yeah, we had 12 people buy this, but they all paid with cash. So there was no identifying factors or anything keeping them, right? Like, they didn't have credit. They didn't leave their name, their number, like, nothing. Mm-hmm. So it was a fucking dead end. Um, so that kind of leaves them wondering, like, okay, so what is going on? So they decide to try and follow up with the blanket that was found in the box with the boy. Turns out... The blanket, uh, which was traced to either being made in Quebec or North Carolina, which two very different... Opposite sides, yeah. Either the places weren't able to say, oh, yeah, this person named Billy Bob bought that blanket. (laughs) No, they weren't because there's thousands of fucking blankets that were, you know, already sold and dispersed, Mm -hmm. right? So all these clues are starting to lead to nowhere. Um, 
at the location where the boy was found. Um, apparently 270 police officers, police officers um, combed over this whole area. And this is what they found. So they found a men's blue corduroy hat labeled Eagle Hat and Cap Company, a child's scarf, and a man's white handkerchief with a letter G in the corner. None of these led to anywhere. Helpful, okay. How frustrated are you? I'm getting frustrated all over again. <laughs> so finally, the police release another postmortem photo of the boy. The way they made it look was that he was sitting in a chair, fully dressed, like kind of, once again, based off of what they found, what he might look like, and nothing came out of that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all like completely guesswork, yeah. Yeah. So on March 21st, 2016, so nearly 60 years after the boy was found, um, the National Center of Missing Exploited Children released a forensic facial reconstruction of the victim and added him into the database. So two years after that, in August 2018, Barbara Ray, Ray Venter, the gen- genetic genealogist, oh my gosh, genealogist, words, um, who helped to identify and capture the Golden State Killer through using a DNA profiling technique, said she was going to use the same method to try to identify the boy in the box. So, so far, nothing's come out of that yet. And it's been two years. But mind you, like, things take time, so Mm -hmm. no shade. Um, Amateur groups that use online databases, such as the Doe Network and WebSleuth, have also tried to solve his identity. So the way I picture these web groups is, do you remember the Netflix documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats? Yes. Those kind of people. So people who are very tech savvy, they're very, you know. um, I'm going to hunt you down from a video background kind of people. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm going to watch your YouTube video 60 times and I'm going to be able to pinpoint exactly who you are based on the window that's in your room and how the light shines. Oh, yeah. Like, but unfortunately, no luck has come from this either. Unfortunately. Yeah. So the boy's body was originally buried in a potter's field, which is where they bury the unknown or identified. Um, Back in 1998, his body was exhumed for the purpose of extracting further DNA, which was obtained from an animal on a tooth. Um, He was then reburied at the Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedar Brook, Philadelphia, whom donated a large plot. This is where it gets really sad. Um, well, I mean, this is all sad, but this is kind of what, mm-hmm. this is what broke my heart. So the coffin, headstone, and funeral service were donated by a son of a man who had bur- buried the boy back in 1957. There was significant public attendance and media coverage at the reburial. Burial? Burial. There we go. Burial. Yep. Yes. I really shouldn't have drank gin before, or vodka before. <laughs> Anyways, the grave has a large headstone bearing the words, America's Unknown Child, which... That's really sad. City residents keep the grave decorated with flowers and stuffed animals all year. I know. I know. My heartstrings. I know. So. Not completely dead inside. No, no, we're not. (laughs) We just like weird things, but we're not dead inside. So essentially nothing like there's no identity connected to this boy, um, which is super sad. The only thing they know is that they only know the cause of death, which was, um, Head trauma, I believe. Yeah, they uh, head trauma. 
you know, the box was connected to a JC Penny at some point, but they can't can't find out who bought who owned the box before the boy. Mm-hmm. And all the leads that they thought were potentially like, oh, this might be a lead. They all something. Yeah. And they all went nowhere. But that doesn't mean there isn't conspiracy theories, because there's always conspiracy theories. That's what we're all about. Bring them on. All right. So the first one is what I'm going to call the foster home theory. So this theory suggests that a nearby foster home located only 2.5 kilometers away from where the boy was left in the woods may have had ties with our unknown victim. So Mm -hmm. in 1960, an employee of the medical examiner's office, Remington Bristow, contacted a New Jersey psychic as a way to try and assist with the case through spiritual means. Mm -hmm. It was three years after the boy was found and this Remington Bristow was like very I don't want to say obsessed because there's almost kind of like a negative connection to that but I was very dedicated to the case very dedicated to the case and we'll get to how dedicated he was in a minute but um so he gets this New Jersey psychic who I imagine is just I keep thinking of Long Island medium but I know New Jersey and Long Island are two separate things but I'm started but I'm just imagining it's, Tra- uh, what's her name? Tracy Caputo? I think something like that, yeah. Yeah. I just imagine. the blonde hair. The, big the blonde hair. I just imagine this New Jersey woman with her New Jersey accent, which I just butchered. I'm so sorry. If we had anyone listening to New Jersey, they're like, uh, nope. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so the psychic was brought to Philadelphia to check out the discovery site which she then led Bristow um, directly to the nearby foster home. So she's brought to the site. She's like, I know exactly where this boy was from. Bam, foster home nearby. Upon attending the foster home, Bristow discovered a bassinet similar to the one that was sold in JCPenney. He also discovered blankets hanging on the clothesline that were similar to the one that the boy was found with. Interesting. So based on this, Bristow believed that the boy belonged to the stepdaughter. That's where things get tricky. Believed that the boy belonged to the stepdaughter of the man who ran the foster home and that they disposed of the body so that the stepdaughter would not be exposed as an unwed mother because it's still the 50s. Mm. You know, a lot of stigma around that. And or that the death was potentially an accident. So despite this circumstantial evidence, the police were not able to make make or find any definitive links between the boy in the box and the foster home. So we're going to fast forward then to 1998. Um, So Philly Police Lieutenant Tom Augustine and several members of a group of retired policemen and profilers interviewed the foster home owner, Arthur, and the stepdaughter, which Arthur had married at this point in time. What? Yep. Weird. Okay. (laughs) I know. It's just... I know, I had to read it a couple times, I'm like, wait, so Arthur, Arthur was the homeowner and the foster dad, and he married his, st- I was like, wait, what, 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 what? But, I mean, it's not technically incest, because it's stepdaughter, I don't know, anyways. Incest is not best, just to incest say that. Incest is not best, but, I mean, it was the 90s, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> the, the stepdaughter slash wife of Arthur did tell Lieutenant that she did have a son who did die of electrocution because or he was electrocuted by one of those old nickel rides outside a store. Mm. So I guess she 
gave him a nickel. He went on the ride and uh, yeah, he died. So where's so, that child's body? Mm-hmm. Well, um, she was able to show the death certificate too. So this theory became a dead end. Mm-hmm. Shame. Shame. Which is sad because Bristow, as mentioned, was very, very devoted to this case to the point where he spent 36 years of his career and life investigating it, spending thousands of dollars and his own work time to like try and figure out who did like who this boy was and what happened to him to the point where he had a mask version of the boy's face for comparisons that he carried around his briefcase. It was like devotion and there's like creepy, like a borderline creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, no, I I don't have any justification for that. It's just fucking weird. Anyways, so the next theory. So this one, I call this one the Memphis Man. So in 2016, two writers, John, uh, sorry, Jim Hoffman and Louis Romano, uh, Romano, believed they had discovered a potential identity um, or and or lead of a man from Memphis and requested that DNA be compared between the Memphis man's family members and the boy in the box. So they essentially met this guy from Philly who eventually, I guess it was a mutual friend who then introduced uh, Jim and Louis together and was like, hey, like, blah, blah, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the guy from Philly told Jim and Louis that his family once rented a home from a man who claimed to have sold his son around the time that police discovered the body. Just sold his son? Just sold his son. Like, all right, so here's the rental agreement. Yeah, I got to go in about five minutes. I'm going to go sell my son. Um, Yeah, if you just sign here and here, rent's due on the third. Like, who does that? What the fuck? It was the 50s, but still, I don't understand. So, uh, anyway, so... This was presented to the Philadelphia police in which they took a photograph of the Memphis man's older son and the boy in the box. And they're like, okay, there's a couple of similarities, but not enough to really like dig in. That's him. Yeah. Yeah. But these two writers, Jim and Lewis were like, no, like you need to, you need to do this. Like we can figure it out. We can help you. Yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So, Police told the public that they wouldn't necessarily try to match the DNA of the Memphis man's son and the boy in the box, but that they would, quote unquote, investigate further. Mm. Which doesn't sit well with me because it's like, well, why wouldn't you just. Yeah, like, why would you just test it? Why don't you just test it? Like, I don't understand. Like, is it really. Anyways. Um, so then fast forward to December 2017, where police confirmed that the DNA was t- that was taken from the Memphis man son and um, connected to the, like, matched the boy was not a match. Okay. Yeah. So. Dead end again. Dead end again. But it's a really good segue into the next theory. So. Number three. Number three. So the woman known as Martha. So, (laughs) no, Martha, like Martha Stewart, but without the home style cooking in jail, cooking in jail, you know, and sleep (laughs) up. (laughs) So, this theory, unfortunately, is a little bit more depressing. Okay. But let's get into it. So, um, in February of 2002, a woman identified only as Martha was 
in a psychiatric hospital in Cincinnati. And she was like begging and pleading for her psychiatrist to reach out to Philadelphia police. So the, the psychiatrist does and, you know, Martha gets interviewed. So Martha claimed that her abusive mother had purchased the unknown boy, the unknown boy whose name was apparent, apparently Jonathan from his parent, his birth parents in the summer of 1954. Apparently the boy was subjected to extreme physical and sexual abuse for two and a half years by Martha's mother, who unfortunately was also sexually and physically abusing Martha. One evening at dinner, the boy vomited up his meal of baked beans and was given a severe beating, uh, with his head being slammed against the floor until he was semi-conscious. Um, so they thought at this point, you know what would be really good to help him out right now? A bath. Just a nice bubble bath. So he was given a bath um, during which he died because... It was drowned. You know, it doesn't say that, but I'm going to speculate wildly that probably... Okay. Um, so along with the head trauma. Along with the head trauma, but it's funny because these details actually match what police would find. So they did find remains of baked beans in his stomach, and that his fingers were a bit wrinkled. But at the time, they just kind of thought, okay, well, maybe that was elements or something. Elements or something, right? And like mm-hmm. beans. I mean, I don't know. The colors are like, oh, that's his last meal, which is an unfortunate <laughs> last meal. Um, so Martha had claimed, Martha claimed that her mother cut the boy's hair in an effort to conceal his identity and forced Martha to help her conceal the body, um, and dump it in the Fox Chase area where the boy was found. During this time, Martha then shared that a male motorist pulled up as her and her mother were getting the boy's body out of the trunk. So Martha then was forced to cover the license plate by standing in front of it while her mother convinced the motorist that everything was okay, which this was actually confirmed by the male witness in 1957, who said he, that he recognized the box that the, that later the boy would be found in based on this occurrence. Despite this, though, police had a very hard time. They had a hard time believing her, and this is where I kind of got a little bit worked up because essentially they're like, "Oh, well, she's in a psychiatric unit. How trustworthy is she?" Well, all the details matched. I know. And I'm like, just because you are seeking psychiatric help does not mean you all of a sudden are untrustworthy. Yeah. Like, what was she even in there for? Do you know? It doesn't say, but like, you know, it still, it still doesn't, you know, it it doesn't really. It's not justification or anything. It's not justification. But like, I mean, I would understand if maybe this isn't like the first time and previous stories before were wrong or if she had like a long history of schizophrenia where she had like severe paranoia or hallucinations Mm -hmm. or you know but it didn't this is the first time she comes out and she's like this is a story and then they're like well you're crazy but like the details match so like whatever but nothing else yeah police did try and follow up with martha's former neighbor who essentially dismissed the claims as being ridiculous because they never saw a boy living at the home Mm. which if Martha's mother was smart or not smart, but like she sound Martha's mom sounds like a con artist. So I'm sure she probably did everything in her path to try and hide the boy from anyone else seeing him. Yeah. Like if she bought this boy, she's obviously not going to people know like, Oh, I have a boy now. Let's show him off. Exactly. So unfortunately this theory has never been pushed further based on that. 
Mm. But I find it interesting because if you think about the Memphis man in that mm-hmm. whole scenario, the guy in Philly was like, yeah, this guy in Memphis rented us a place. He made a comment that he was selling his son in like 1957 or whatever, or in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Martha's claiming that her mom purchased the boy, which just sounds gross to say, but that she bought the boy off of this, like off of his parents in the 50s. And I'm just two and two. Just I'm saying. Just saying. I'm just saying something's adding up. Mm-hmm. And then finally, um, there is a theory that the boy was actually a girl, which still doesn't really give any identity to it. It just It's just kind of a weird theory that essentially forensic artist Frank Bender had a theory that the victim may have been raised as a girl. So the child's unprofessional haircut, which that is some shade. Whoever, like, whoever cut this person, this boy's <laughs> hair, that is some, like, we've just been essentially making jabs at how sh- shitty of a hairdresser they are, but it's true. Um, essentially, Frank Bender said just based on the fact that how bad the haircut was, was the basis for the scenario. Um, as well as the eyebrows, which they were what more feminine than male, like I, it, stop. I don't know. Like, and that's the thing. Like, I've seen boys who have prettier eyebrows than I do. Mhm. But baloney, yeah. baloney, so baloney. So, as mentioned, the boy's identity remains unknown to this very day, over sixty-three years later, and that is the case. Of the boy in the box and all the conspiracy theories that are attached to it with no freaking help. Well, I quite enjoy number three reason. <laughs> right. Just saying. And it's very sad, but I'm happy that he gets a public burial and all that good stuff that happens with it. I, on- I honestly think that Martha is legit. I think that the boy was somehow sold, which I, like, I don't know much about the 50s other than that's like the around the time that both my parents were born. Growing up, they were never like, oh yeah, back in our day, people were buying kids left, right, and center. Like, no one, like, I don't know about the states. Like, I know in Canada, like, I I know in, I, do, I, I don't know, but maybe it was a thing back then. Like, children. children. Children, which is like, I don't, no. I don't like it. I don't like it, I don't like it, I don't like it. Anyways, um, okay, so the resources I used for this story was good old Wikipedia as well as BuzzFeed Unsolved, shocker. Um, But you can find that video from BuzzFeed Unsolved on YouTube. It's called The Mysterious Death of the Boy in the Box. Um, And Christy, tell them where they can find us on social media. Oh, well, let me do that. You guys can find us. We have uh, various platforms. You can get us on Anchor, where we mainly are. Link to uh, Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Overcast, and Pocket Casts. If you guys have any questions or stories that you want us to hear about, um, for us to do separate episodes, you can email us. We're at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Also, tweet us on Twitter. We are at weirddistractI1. That is at weirddistractI1. <laughs> and then hit us up on our Insta page. We're also at weirddistractionspod. Whoop, whoop. Um, I'm just trying to think. Oh, and if you are on Apple Podcasts, uh, please rate and review us on there. Um, you don't have to say anything, you know, super deep and meany. You can literally write, I like mac and cheese. And, you know, we'll read that and be like, you know what? Same. Same. Same here. We also like mac and cheese. 
but five stars would be great. Um, it just means that we're maybe doing something right. Or you can tell us the honest truth. If we're not doing so great, that's fine. We we are a work in progress. We'll be sad, but we'll take it to yeah. uh, heart a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it to heart. We'll cry about it. And then you know what? We'll take your critiques and we'll work on it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. So I think that is all for this episode. Um, once again, check out our BuzzFeed Unsolved for more information about The Boy in the Box. Um, it's a really fascinating story, and I recommend it for anyone who is in need of a weird distraction. Um, and just remember, you can always find distraction in the busiest of times if one simply looks for the weird. Right, all thanks, right. guys. Bye. Are you looking for a new adventure? Did you ever want to visit the city where all your nightmares reside? Well, you're in luck! Join us, your tour guides, Christine and Jen, to visit Nopeville, where you will be personally escorted on an all-inclusive trip through the city and see all possibilities of terror and fright. You'll see all sorts of things on your tours, including, but definitely not limited to, the paranormal, true crime, the supernatural, and more. If you're into all that and enjoy a little dark humor, book your tour today and nope right along with us. Check us out on our website at nopevillepodcast.com to see where you can listen to Nopeville today.